Good morning. This is the very first episode of the very first podcast um, I've ever done. (laughs) So I'm hopeful that this is the beginning of many conversations and I'm going to be having them while I drive to save time and be efficient at my job. But I drive a lot and I have a lot of time where I think about um, things that matter and sometimes things that don't matter. But I want to use this time to um, be able to connect with the team um, at Safety Compass and connect with people doing like work in the field and who want to be doing like work in the field. So um, I think I'm going to be calling this um, series of podcasts um, Advocacy According to Esther, um, Life on the Road. (laughs) So um, I want to delve into different topics, I think, every podcast and just spend... um, time, um, just kind of hunkering down on, um, different aspects of advocacy, um, and what it's like to be in the field, um, and, um, it's not going to be formal because I am not in a position to look at my notes while I'm driving, at least not to be safe (laughs) and do so. So, um, it's going to just be conversational and I invite you to listen as you drive maybe, or as you're doing your work at your office with this on in the background. But, um, I'm hopeful that, um, we can communicate, um, through this format, um, things that are important to safety compass, uh, and share that with others, but also, um, things that are maybe important um, outside of the field even just in how to love on others maybe I'm not alert but it's like people call me on my cell phone while I'm podcasting (laughs) well a lot of that because uh lord knows I get a lot of phone calls (laughs) so this will be maybe I should rename it the often interrupted podcast um But without further ado, I think I'm just going to dive into um, my initial, like, backdrop. Um, As you all know, I'm an advocate uh, at Safety Compass. I've been an advocate, this is 2019, and I've been an advocate for 16 years. Um, I started out as a volunteer and um, volunteered for a couple years before I... Um, worked at the crisis call center in Nevada, uh, coordinating their sexual assault response team. And then I worked at SARC, the sexual assault resource center in Washington County, Oregon. Um, I founded their trafficking unit, uh, in Multnomah County, um, in 2009-ish. And, um, then took a long sabbatical where I kind of got my heart right and came back to the work. Um, I'd say a little bit different way. Um, and I'm so thankful for that and founded Safety Compass and Safety Compass does nonprofit advocacy work in the, currently in the Northwest region of Oregon, 
but um, I think our hearts with partners all over the um, West Coast actually. Um, so I feel like we are in partnership with people doing work all over the place, not just here in our region or of our jurisdiction. Um, and I absolutely love advocacy. I absolutely love trafficking survivors. Um, I absolutely love the people who come to volunteer and or work to do this kind of community with people um, as they heal from hard, hard things. Um, and my roots being sort of grown out of the sexual assault victims advocacy movement, my roots are in crisis intervention. That's really been most of my work. And I think I draw from the power of the crisis moment um, a lot in terms of where I see transformation happen um, in my own life and in advocacy. So I will probably talk a lot about those kind of moments um, and how to work in them because that's where I feel like I've seen so much transformation happen. Um, I'm going to lay the ground for my heart for the work in it's a, it's a true story. It really happened, but I think it's kind of an analogy for everything we do. And when I was probably an advocate for maybe three, I've been about maybe three years into the field. So I was probably no longer volunteering, but working in the field at the crisis call center. Um, and I'd responded to the emergency room to sit with a sexual assault survivor. She was, I want to say she was 11 years old. Um, and she was reporting a sexual assault, but she was actually trying to report being trafficked and we didn't know, I didn't know what I didn't know yet. And so we listened to her disclosure and we couldn't understand it. And so I'm pretty sure that her report went nowhere, um, for being quote unquote unfounded when in reality she was actually looking back now that I understand the terminology of the industry much better. She was giving a very clear statement. Um, but it didn't seem clear to us because we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> but at some point in the exam, um, and she's, you know, fully unclothed with a drape on and getting her sexual assault exam done. And at some point she's triggered like full body trigger. And she jumps up off of the emergency room bed and runs out into the hallway naked, but sort of wrapped in this sheet. And so I run after her with a warm blanket from the incubator and I drape, drape it over her and she's lying on the floor and she's grounding by a, um, sort of laying her head um, on the hard tile because it's cool. And I can tell that that's sort of helping soothe her. And so I laid down sort of next to her, facing her on the, on the floor so we could be eye level. And we just sat there together and I was in my head, as I do often when I'm doing advocacy, I'm like praying, like, what do I say to this person who I don't understand what she's telling us and she needs so much more than I know how to give her. But I remember saying to her, I see you. And I didn't know what she was talking about, but I, I did see her pain. And I wanted her to know that I could see her pain and that she wasn't invisible. And... So I felt like I saw her like on a heart level and I said that because that's what I felt like 
was honest. And I could tell that she received that. Like she felt seen on an emotional level. And I will never forget the power of watching someone know that they were seen. And that is really the crux of advocacy. Being emotionally prepared and healthy enough for us to see people where they really are and invite that state of that person to join us in a present moment and be safer together, right? Um, And to honor whatever it is that we see to honor it um, and to hopefully have some training around how to articulate what we see, right? Like we do work towards best practice and I'll probably talk about that some in this podcast, but today I just want to talk about what we do and we just see people. Um, that's our hope, I think, and then step into that moment with them and just Um, bear witness to it and we don't run away from the hard things we sit in those hard things with people and we don't always have the answers we actually don't probably don't ever have the answers we don't have the power to change circumstances we don't have a magic wand we don't have a lot of the things that they need to be honest we're a compass right safety compass is a first responder emergency responder we refer people to other services a lot of the time to get long-term holistic healing. We don't, you know, we're not the end-all be-all. But goodness knows we're going to step into those moments fully present. Um, and we're not going to minimize and we're not going to shy away. And we're not going to slap a happy accolade on something. We're just going to honor their strength and resilience and worth in the moment and and see them for those things. So that's pretty much it. And I can't wait to talk more about the many nuances of how to live that out um, in do advocacy work. But that's that's the stage that I want to set, was being on that hard tile floor, eye level, with an 11-year-old girl, um, and just seeing her and I hope we can all do that together in this work I hope we can all endeavor to do that and do that better together um and I can't wait to talk more with you so thank you for listening to the podcasts that I haven't yet created but hope to (laughs) and um we'll meet again until then um take good care of yourself Good morning. Um, We are back today um, to discuss a little bit about advocacy. Um, I wanted to start um, podcast number two with um, something that seems kind of linear. So um, before we can really talk a lot about advocacy and case management and um, call outs and crisis versus um, non-crisis response work and you know, all the many complexities we can get into together, I figured we'd start with the beginning, which is how you introduce yourself to someone at Safety Compass. Um, 
especially when we're doing work where we are called out to connect with people before we actually are sure whether or not they are being trafficked or exploited, um, knowing that um, even if they are, they may not be forthcoming. Um, and if we um, sort of jump to a conclusion, we can potentially damage rapport. So how do we begin um, by being honest about who we are and what we're up to without killing rapport. Um, and I think it's kind of a bit of a dance um, at the very beginning of your introduction, um, and then you can be much more clear at the end of your first meeting. Uh, you want to set people up for success and know what to expect later, and that definitely um, involves clarity. So um, at the beginning, I'll just describe how I typically um, engage with people in a first interaction, a first introduction. Um, I do think there's some differences between how you introduce yourself to a minor versus adult, just depending on um, setting sometimes that can also make a difference. But this is so this will be a general, um, generally how I introduce myself. Um, when I meet with someone the first time I say, you know, hello, my name is Esther. I work at Safety Compass. I'm a confidential um, advocate um, and what that means is, you know, there's a lot of people here who have some different roles. Um, I'm not a DHS investigator looking to figure out whether or not you are um, deemed safe with your guardian. I'm not law enforcement here to investigate if there's been a crime committed against you. I'm literally just here for you. And based on my role, um, I am just like your off-record support person. So anything we talk about today... Um, can stay just between us if you want it to. So if you just need kind of a black hole <laughs> of a um, friend to discuss things with, um, I am here for you in that way. Um, I do want to help you navigate the system. So let's talk today about kind of what we have going on here. Hopefully I can answer some questions. If I don't know the answer, I'll go and try to find you an answer. But I just want to offer... Um, to be with you in this moment, and um, then maybe we can talk a little bit uh, more about moving forward, how that can look um, if we want to maybe connect again after this day. But for today, um, just a little bit about the role that I have at Safety Compass. I work with, um, let's just say I'm talking to a minor. I'd say, you know, I work with youth um, who have had all kinds of hard experiences. Um, I work with youth who've been on the run. I work with youth who have been, you know, out on the street or connected to a gang to find their own sense of connection or family. Um, I work with youth who've had to figure out ways to survive that are maybe a little non-traditional. Um, they might be surviving by having to come up with food and shelter. Sometimes they've had to exchange, uh, you know, sexual acts for, you know, ways to survive or money. Um, sometimes they don't even get to keep that money. Sometimes they give that money to other people. And so there might be people in their lives um, that to varying degrees are, you know, supportive, but sometimes that can be confusing or maybe it's not even safe who they have to kind of connect with to survive. Uh, I work with people who've had bad experiences um, as they're exposed to that life. Um, some people have been sexually assaulted. Some people have been kind of um, exposed Dorted for money. Uh, so I, you know, all these things are typically life um, experiences of folks that I end up working with. So because of that, you know, there's nothing you could say that's going to shock me or offend me. Um, that's just what I do. And my goal would be in talking to you more, kind of assessing how you're doing, how life's going, what your needs are, 
that we can figure out um, maybe what the best supports for you moving forward are. And maybe that's us. Maybe that's Safety Compass and part of our community. Um, we want to be a community of support to people who kind of fit into what the, our services are. But, you know, when we talk today, if it turns out, you know, by the end that there are other services that might be better fits, we can also help connect you to those. So um, let's just, you know, see what um, see what feels best to you. So that's how I start. It's a very wide net that I throw down. Um, it's a very um, non-specific and yet um, somewhat specific. <laughs> I guess that's a, um, it's not very clear. Um, I I want to leave room open for how people define to define themselves. I actually don't use the term sex trafficking or commercial sexual exploitation at all in my initial introduction. I let people explain their experiences and then later I would say, here, you know, we might call that da-da-da. Um, and then at the very end of our meeting, I would say, you know, Safety Compass is a community for people who have experienced um, sexual exploitation. Um, maybe they're involved in the life, but they've had a bad date or they've been sexually assaulted. Um, or um, maybe they're just at great risk for that because of um, hard stuff that's going on in their life. So I do get much more overt at the end and we'll use those terms, but at the very beginning, I absolutely do not. And I do not suggest it because I think it sets people off to feel, oh, I guess you're not for me because I haven't thought of myself as being a sex trafficking survivor and therefore you must not be for me. And I can say myself as a person who would have qualified for services as a younger person, I would never have, um, identified myself that way. So, um, I think we need to be welcoming enough of connection to build enough rapport to have really honest conversations that might be somewhat like psychoeducational by the end, uh, where people may feel more entitled to services uh, by the end of the conversation than they would have at the beginning. Um, for an adult, um, I would say it's very similar although I'm more overt about the fact that they may be in the life or in the game. Um, in the sex industry, and they may have just had a negative experience. And so they don't have to be trafficked. They don't have to be exploited by a third party, um, although obviously that's what we overwhelmingly uh, see. Um, they could have just, you know, been in the industry and even, in, at least in their terminology, by choice, and which is something else we can unpackage at a different time. But if they feel, you know, like, yeah, I'm, I'm here and this is what I'm up to and, like, nobody's, you know, pressuring me to do it or nobody's taking my money... Uh, I'm just here, right? But like maybe they had a sexual assault by a trick because that totally happens all the time regardless of whether people are, you know, signing up uh, for that experience um, in a way that they feel like is on their own terms. So um, bad dates for adults. Um, we would want to support anybody who had uh, an abusive experience in the industry of any kind, right? So, because we're victims advocates. <laughs> so um, for adults, I'm a little more overt, Um and then I would say for people who were called out to because they're in a sting, and then you, you actually can be even more specific because um, it's obvious why they're there. Like, you know, they wouldn't have even responded to the fake ad or uh, whatever if um, they weren't definitely involved in being posted or um, something more overt in the industry. So we can say... I think in a sting is about the only time I think I'd come out this overtly, but I, we could say, you know, we work with people who have experiences in the industry um, or in the life or in the game, however you define it, you know, 
throw out a few terms um, and say, we're here for people who've had any kind of negative experience just to give you some support. Because what we want to do is shut down the concern that maybe we're just there to get them out of the life, right? We want to support their freedom of choice um, for all kinds of reasons, which we can get into. Um, but in the moment, we just want them to know, hey, we're not even here to, to argue that conversation. We just want you to know that we feel like you deserve support, right? In the moment, regardless of where you're going after this or where you're at before this. Um, and that we also know the industry is very dangerous. And so virtually everyone we end up working with has been sexually assaulted in the industry. If it's by their pimp, if it's by another pimp, uh, if it's by the gang that turned them out, if it's by the tricks that um, are not allowing them to negotiate, right? Uh, negotiate for money, negotiate different sort of sexual acts, uh, negotiate condom use, right? When, when they lack freedom of choice, um, that is an abuse um, that we would want to be responsive to and give them some support for. So um, that part, I think, is more straightforward, like I said, in a sting, just because we obviously all know why we all came to the same place at the same time. <laughs> so that one's pretty pretty straightforward. Um, but again, I don't use the terminology sex trafficking or commercial sexual exploitation um, in my initial intro. I do, um, even when I'm being very overt, I do say things like bad dates, bad tricks, um, sexual assaults, abuse, or just lack of safety of any kind related to their experiences in the industry, right? That's how I would f couch that, um, or in the game, or in the life, just kind of depending on things that they might be saying, words that they might be using. So that's my intro. And then as we talk, you know, things will start to roll. Um, they'll start to give me context, maybe how they got there, where they've been, um, what life's been like leading up to this event. Um, maybe cities that they frequent or venues, you know, maybe they're dancing. Um, maybe they are strictly out of motels or um, mostly out of homes. Maybe they're in reflexology partners. Uh, parlors. Um, so there's a lot of different culturally specific aspects of different environments, as we know, and that may also be impacting their identity. For example, if they're a dancer and they actually are not turning any tricks, it may be offensive to them to bring up the idea of turning tricks. And so your language may, it's also helpful to be really um, non-specific at the beginning because they may be like, well, yeah, I work at this club and there's this bouncer who's really pressuring me. Um, and maybe that's even their quote-unquote boyfriend or someone they've seen before who's also sexually assaulted them, right? So they, there may be a need for support, but they wouldn't consider themselves um, anything beyond a dancer in terms of their own um, involvement in the industry. Now, they may be being groomed by that door person who's actually a pimp uh, to be turning tricks, right? That So the whole process may be well underway, but if, if they haven't experienced it yet, they may um, definitely just, you know, feel like their exposure is being a dancer and um, implying anything beyond that just isn't being with them in that moment and it's not respectful. So, so for all those reasons, I really encourage um, lack of um, specifics initially, throwing a wide net for support so that you can engage in conversation about many different things, like running away, like having to barter to survive, um, like getting your basic needs met, like um, negotiating how to do that um, and, and how to make money and different ways that that might be exploited by other people, um, and then hone in slowly. And then by the end, the way I wrap up is to say, um, 
you know, thank you so much for our time together. I really, you know, sometimes I'll say, I realize there's an investigation going on. I'll be sitting with you through your interview. And then um, that will give me more information as well. So I don't say much and, uh, until the interview is done and then I'll really wrap up because the interview might tell me way more than they've told me, right? Um, sometimes I'll just say, you know, if that's the end of our meeting and there's nothing else going on, you know, thank you so much for, for meeting with me. I really appreciate your um, willingness to even just kind of connect. I think that's a huge, brave step. Anytime we connect with people we haven't, you know, previously known and then say, you know, my goal is to get you the best connection in terms of support services, support community out there. And so based on what we're, you know, what we've talked about, it sounds, you know, and this is just dependent on the content of what they've said. It sounds like Safety Compass could be a great fit for you. I'd love to follow up with you or I'd love to connect you to my friend and then, you know, give them the case manager's name you believe that they'll be assigned to. Um, or if you know it's not a good fit, like if they've said literally nothing that would even remotely um, imply that they are a good fit for our services or even at high risk, we know we're going to refer out, right? So then we would say based on, you know, our conversation and this assessment, and you can call it an assessment because that's what you're doing. Um, my next step is going to be refer to refer you to some services that sound like they might be a great fit. So if they're um, at risk for um, being unhoused or on the run, you might be referring them to Youth Era or to Taylor's House in Salem or Harry's Mother Janice Youth Programs in Portland or New Avenues for Youth. Um, so um, let's see, if they're juvenilely involved, you might refer them to juvenile services like Seneca House or Harkins House. So um, just figuring out based on the content of their disclosure what they might be able to connect with in terms of a support community. Because um, that's what we're all about. It doesn't have to be us. Um, if we do think that they're at least um, extremely high risk or involved, we also can ask them about mental health services. Um, every time that we meet someone new, I want us to be asking about that. Because if that is something that they're um, interested in, then by like the second or third um, meeting of ours, we want to make a referral to a village for one. I would want to wait two or three meetings just to make sure that um, they've got strong rapport with us enough that we really have an, an understanding if they already have a strong, you know, relationship with another therapist or um, that we won't be breaking down our own rapport to just referring them out. Because if they're a good fit for our services, we don't want them to just feel like we referred them on, right? So um, I, but I would check in and see if they're interested. Um, and then, you know, maybe, um, we do keep them on our caseload. A lot of the time that's how it goes. And so we'll just be talking about some next steps will be that we'd love to follow up with you. Um, we'd love to give you a phone call or check in about meeting up, you know, here's where our office is, you know, depending on what county you're in, refer them to the closest office. If they'd ever like to stop in and say, we, you know, we love to meet in the community. If it's easier just to meet at Subway or, you know, wherever for a snack. And then um, let them know, um, you if you're going to contact them, that you would love to know if it's safe for you to be able to leave a message. Without knowing if it's safe to leave a message, we really can't. Um, and that goes for texting because that's, you know, proof of our interaction. So is it safe to text? Is it safe to leave a voicemail? And we need to know that before we do those things for safety reasons. Um, and then you've got your follow-up plan. So that's pretty much it. If you're referring out, you can say, I'll be making some connection to other providers. But in order to do that, I need a release of information. When you get your release, which you must have to be able to connect with other um, providers. Um, and we always love connecting them to, the, to other providers too, right? Like like I said, it may not be the very first visit that we do it because we don't want people to feel like they just got passed off. But by the third visit, we should have been making strong connections to other community partners. 
um, and sometimes more quickly than that, depending on how fast their case is moving, it may be very quick. So, but in order to do that, we need a release of information. The release you have, it's the ROI, um, it's the material that we can find housed um, uh, internally to our system. So right now that's on the intranet. Um, you have it printed out in your Go box if you graduated from Advocacy Academy. And the release of information needs to be specific to the provider and specific to the content. So if they're like, yeah, you can totally refer me to um, Youth Era or Taylor's House, right? L please call them and let them know I'd love to come there and let, um, maybe give them a heads up. I will be trying to um, make, get in connection with them for services, you know, this week. Um, but you can't talk about all the content they shared, right? You have to be specific to the content that they want shared. So they may have wanted you to make a referral. That doesn't mean that they want you to necessarily tell that case manager you talked to at that other provider's um, environment that now you know that they've been exploited and you know the name of their pimp and you know the venues they're dancing in or whatever, right? That's pretty specific. And that might be very personal to them. So you need to know what um, information is okay to share and what they'd rather keep private between the two of you. And all you're doing is gaining more rapport, trust, and credibility by asking those questions, right? So you don't want to make it um, a drama, right? Like that you might share something. You, you want to be really straightforward. We always ask these questions and you get to be in control of the answers and um, let us know what you're comfortable sharing, what you're not. And in the future, that could change. So just because you're comfortable today doesn't mean you can't revoke that later, right? So just Go through the motions like it's no big deal. You don't want to create um, anxiety around it when there doesn't need to be any. Releases can be very straightforward. And I think the more straightforward they are, um, the less people get um, suspicious of, of things, right? Um, so it just, I think, reduces um, trouble when, when we are not anxious about them. So that's what I would say about your introductions. Um, next time we'll check in about a topic probably... Um, keeping this in linear fashion, we'll talk about maybe the beginning of case management will be our next um, session together. But for now, at least we maybe have some more ideas about how to begin um, our relationship building process with survivors. Thank you so much for checking in. Um, take good care of yourself and we'll meet again soon. Mm -hmm.